Live to see it, friends. Welcome to The World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. My name is Stephen Gordon. Bill is under the weather this week. I know he'll get back to the hosting chair as soon as he can, and we wish him well. He is uh, envious, no doubt, because I get to talk with one of our favorite guests, Thomas Fry. Over the past decade, Thomas Fry has built an enormous following around the world based on his ability to develop accurate visions of the future and describe opportunities ahead. He's the author of at least two books that I'm aware of. Thomas, you wrote uh, Communicating with the Future, How to Reengineer how re-engineering intentions will alter the master code of our future, and then more recently published Epiphany Z, Eight Radical Visions for Transforming Your Future. I have not, I've not read your first book, but I, I, I loved Epiphany Z. So I, we really appreciate uh, you joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on here. Well, tonight we get to talk uh, future cities. And this may be one that we uh, just throw out scenarios of, of, of things that could be possibilities because cities can develop in all kinds of, you know, in ways that are, are, will be unforeseen. But let's get into this. I guess the enabling technology that brought about cities in the first place was agriculture, right? I mean, it, uh, before we were hunter-gatherers and we, you know, a whole lot of people couldn't live in one place until uh, agriculture yeah. uh, happened. And uh, so how has that changed humanity in, in your opinion? Yeah, we're, we're social creatures by nature, so we want to be around other people. Um, but as we put more and more people together, that creates lots of other issues. And then, I mean, when when the car came along, that became kind of this dominant priority for cities that we had to design all the highways, places to park them and all that. And now, now as we're moving into a driverless era, I see driverless technology as being the most disruptive technology in all history. I see it as being more disruptive than the invention of the wheel, the invention of electricity, even the invention of the car itself, because it will affect more people in a greater way in a shorter period of time than anything else in all history. And <clears throat> when you start working your way through all of the details on, on how your life starts to alter, it, it becomes so staggering. And that, that rolls downhill and starts affecting cities in a massive way. You know, just 40% of all sales tax is collected from, from automobile sales. And if we stop owning our own vehicles then, and the vehicles start being sold in fleets, then that eliminates 40% of sales tax. That's one of the, the main revenue streams for cities. <clears throat> We're starting to see lots of uh, what's called the retail apocalypse right now with lots of stores that are disappearing. And a lot of it has to do with, well, online retail that you can have delivered to your house. And, yeah. and as Am get, Amazon get into, is killing it, isn't it? I mean, they, that's... Yeah, at the moment, they look like, kind of like the world killer. I mean, they're, they're just uh, taking over everything. And, and so businesses are having a hard time competing. But a lot of the traditional retailers that have so many junk bonds and so much crap financing in the background that they are leveraged to the hilt and so that even if they lose 5% of their business in the on, to the online world, that they, they can no longer stay afloat. And that's why we're seeing the Payless Shoes and the Toys R Us and groups like that go bankrupt, actually prematurely. And, and so it, it affects a lot of other things too because we've been using retail as a form of entertainment. I mean, we go out and we look at yeah. stuff just to, to be entertained. 
and if the retail stores go away, then we still have the need to get out. We get cabin fever if we stay in, inside all the time. So that opens the door for some other opportunities that I don't think we've seen yet. Some experience-driven, fun, entertaining things that we can go to and be around other people. What does that look like? I think somebody needs to invent those things. Experience-based um, uh, businesses, right? I mean, <laughs> the trampoline parks for the kids, uh, uh, massage therapy for the adults, perhaps. Or, I don't know. It's a, you know, it's just something that provides an experience other than just selling us goods because the, 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 that model seems to be fading, doesn't it? Right, right. I, I've been playing around with this idea that because uh, you know people feel isolated, that there, there could actually be, you know, like uh, conversation vans that are rolling up and down the roads and we could be using our AR glasses and looking at the highway and we find out which topic these these conversation vans are getting into and uh, and then we could just stop them and jump on board and get into conversations with other like-minded people. Maybe that's a business model. I don't know. But but we'll, we'll, we'll see a lot of these things come out of the woodwork. It just opens the door for so many new things. And then when you when you start adding drones to the mix here, then that that creates this whole other complicated set of scenarios for cities to deal with. Yeah, we mentioned drones earlier in the week. Have we even mentioned the possibility that drones could be, uh, you know, a single person flying vehicles? Uh, so these are not just drones for transporting things. They they could, if they're big enough, transport us, right? Right, right. Yeah, Airbus says that they'll have one for sale before the end of the year, drone taxis, and there's there's a Chinese company making them, and there's another one that just announced recently, too. Yeah, they, they're, they're in use in uh, Dubai right now. It's kind of on a pilot project basis. Well, kind of ironic that I use the word pilot in a pilotless vehicle. <laughs> yeah, so. if, it, if it's a pilot, <laughs> if it's a, if it's a pilotless vehicle, it's, but, I told, you know, told Phil that before I get into one of those things, I would I wanted to have a ballistic parachute. Uh, <laughs> I'd hate to lose. Uh, oh, oh, one one of the one of the four fans is gone, and therefore, you know, now flipping down to my death, you know. <laughs> to me, a, uh, a good ballistic parachute would be a, an important safety feature, I would think. So if, if, you, if you start with the scenario that uh, sometime in the future, every major city will have 50,000 drones flying overhead, and you ask the question, what is the city's responsibility in dealing with all these drones? I mean, how close can they fly to a person? How close can they fly to a business, to a house? I mean, we haven't created any of these privacy barriers yet. And then you, you start um, asking the question of at, at what time is it okay to shoot a drone out of the air um, and who has the right to do that? And then more importantly, at what point do you have the obligation to shoot a drone out of the air? How do you determine if this drone is menacing people, if it's um, too noisy, if it looks dangerous, if it's doing some weird stuff? At what point do you, do you, does it require that you shoot it out of the air? We haven't come up with any of these rules yet. We haven't had any of these discussions. I, I think that, that's lots of things that have to be dealt with. I, I guess what we end up doing is, is, is uh, for, these, for these vehicles is to establish lanes in the sky, places that are, are legal for them to fly, and they, they have to stay in, within these lanes, right? Certain yeah. heights, and, uh, and, and, and you can't veer from those. 
Well, exactly. I mean, the cities are going to get noise complaints. How do they deal with it? They're going to get complaints about uh, menacing vehicles, about uh, aesthetics, uh, pollution. There, there could be all kinds of issues coming around drones. Yeah, and, and don't think of drones as just one size flying thing. I mean, they can roll on the ground, they can dive underwater, and the future drones are going to be doing all kinds of things. I, I've been playing around with this whole idea of fleets of drones. I, th I think every city will have to have their own fleet of drones in the future. I think every police department will have their own fleet of drones. I mean, how do you deal with drones, drone problems in the sky? Well, you have your own drones to deal with. It doesn't mean fewer drones. It means more drones, actually. <laughs> and so I think, yeah. I think in the future, I think every college campus will have its own fleet of drones. I think every stadium, will, every airport, every prison, every farmer will have their own fleet of drones, every shopping center. Um, and you start going down the list of all these groups that will likely have their own fleet of drones, and suddenly you start saying, oh, crap, we're going to have a lot of drones in the air. Jeez, how are we going to deal with all these? And so we're going to be having these command centers. I think that's going to be one of the hot jobs in the future is managing fleets of drones. And so what, is, what does that look like? And then, and, and then I think the way my mind has been working around this is I think we actually start using these drones to create a scanning system so that we can create search engines for the physical world. And so we're we're scanning cities, and so in the future we'll be able to search on attributes, like I want something with this texture, with it smells like this, something that tastes like that. I want something with this harmonic vibration, with this specific gravity, with this level of reflectivity. We won't know all the attributes that it's searching on, but we just ask a question, where is that dog with rabies in the city right now? Did that tornado in the city caused damage to City Hall 10 minutes ago. Yeah. We'll be able to get answers on things like that. We can do stalker reports. Is John Doe been getting close to Jane Doe? And how close have they been? And we can ask things like infrastructure problems. What's the most dangerous intersection? What's the most dangerous bridge in the city today? And get all of these type of this type of information that's currently, it's not possible for us to do that. But the, this type of drone systems in the future, I think is going to enable all kinds of unique ways of understanding the world around us. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. What other technologies would you, you see having an impact on, on cities? I'm trying to foresee a uh, perhaps a Blade Runner type type city of the future. In that movie, I mean, we we saw constant advertisements on the side of buildings and things like that. Yeah, part of the advertising that we we're doing in the past has been been viewed as a distraction for drivers, and we can't have distractions for drivers. So if we have driverless vehicles, that's no longer a problem. Maybe we go to AR advertising in cities so that you can only see it if you have your glasses on so people can opt in or opt out of the advertising and it's floating over the top of buildings and that sort of thing. But as we get into 3D printed buildings, contour crafting, cities have had inspectors that come out and inspect things at every step of the way. That's become kind of a, a major revenue source for remodeling of houses and all that. But in the future, I mean, the, this idea that you could set up a rig uh, on a construction site and then within a day you completely print this entire house 
you can't stop halfway through and allow a city inspector to go inspect something because then it messes up everything. So you would you could have them inspect the plans beforehand and you can have them inspect it afterwards, but that changes that whole game quite a bit in how they manage new construction. And, and incidentally, Dubai says that by 2030, I think it's 25% of all their construction is going to be done with 3D printers. That's their, their plan. Amazing, amazing. And make, make, right. make for some interesting cityscapes, that's for sure. Yeah, see, as, uh, part of my prediction was, was that, you know, we're going to have lots of jobs that start to disappear. And um, to be more accurate, we're not automating entire jobs out of existence. We're automating tasks out of existence. So as an example, if you had somebody who was a meter reader that they'd go out and read the meters, once we send the information wirelessly to a city, then people don't have to physically go out and read the meters anymore. But the meter readers did a lot more than just read the meters. So the job itself gets redefined. And naturally, we need fewer people to do the job. But the, the job itself doesn't totally go away. The only job that's totally gone away in the last 67 years has been that of the elevator operator. And by one count, 100 years ago, we had 265,000 elevator operators in the United States. And none of those guys ever thought their job would go away. You know, they had that lever that they had to push and they come up. You had to get that car to come up, even with the floor that you're going to. Now, the job that hasn't gone away, though, is that of the elevator repairman. So yeah. all of this technology that we become dependent on, we need to develop a repair culture to surround it, to, to kind of support that industry. And some of these technologies are way too new. We don't have any repair culture at all that uh, supports it just yet. And so it, when they wear out, we just it just goes to the junkyard, doesn't it, instead of uh, being yeah, repaired? Yeah, yeah. and we, we, some of these things are going to be way too expensive to just throw away. So as an example, with the drone industry, I've always talked about if FedEx and UPS starts using drones to deliver packages, they're going to want drones that can make 50,000 trips before they, they throw them away. And we haven't seen that level of industrial-grade drone just yet. I think it's being worked on. I think it's coming. But, but that's, that's going to be an expensive vehicle, though. But they want to get a lot of use out of it before, they, before it gets headed to the scrapyards. Absolutely. And, again, it's going to require the ability to repair them and to maintain them rather than what we have right now, to some extent, is uh, plastic toys. Uh, and, I mean, there, there, are, there, there are higher grade drones than that. By and large, we don't, we don't have drones just yet that can lift and, and deliver large packages and, and do it reliably for thousands of times, right? Right. As we move into these fleets of drones, I have this, this scenario that I've used in the past. It's, it, uh, because I think in terms of swarm bots in the future, and lots of tiny little flying drones that work in concert with each other. And each person then will own their own, their own swarm. So if, if you think about somebody a few years into the future, they wake up in the morning and they go take a shower as first thing. Then once they step out of the shower, their swarm shows up and, and will dry them off 
It will fix their hair. It will apply their makeup. It will shave them. It will do the grooming. And then the swarm will then assemble itself as your clothing. And the swarm then de- decides what mood you're in, so decide what fashion you're wearing and what color it should be. The swarm then becomes your communication system. It becomes your your protection system. And, and then when you walk out of the house, when you want to go somewhere, your swarm will fly you to where you want to go. That, that becomes kind, <laughs> wow. of, kind of the like Superman that. scenario there. All right. So I, I think that's kind of a fun idea to start playing around with in your mind. How, how long before we get to drones that are working cohesively like that, that work together and are durable enough to reliable enough so you can have them all over your body? Well, if they're, if they're tiny enough, they don't, maybe they don't have to be all that durable. You know, as they wear out, they're replaced, right? Yeah. And, yeah, uh, I think, yeah, I think it, of it, like a swarm of 10,000 drones, so. That's an idea that's similar to Jay Storrs Hall's uh, utility fog idea. I don't know that he ever envisioned it as as flying drones. And I, I I like that. I like I like that idea. These tiny little drones that can assemble to basically allow you to alter your reality right around you, including your clothes or whatever, and, and be able yeah, to fly. Exactly. That's cool. I like yeah. it. I like it. <laughs> Well, this is Friday, and so on Friday, we like to spend a little time just having a little fun, basically. That's, we call it the last segment of the week we call Geek Out. And this particular week, we, we've, we've got a new Blade Runner. And I'm going to tell you, Thomas, that in the lead-up to this, I, this was the movie that I, I didn't want because it's going to mess with the original Blade Runner, which was this masterpiece, in my, in my opinion. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm getting excited about this movie because the reviews are just incredible. Yeah, a good friend of mine is a film reviewer, and he gave it really high ratings. So I'm, I'm anxious to go see it. Absolutely. Get, get to see at least one vision of, of these cities of the future that we're talking about. Of course, it, of course it, it being a typical sci-fi, it's going to be dystopian. It's dystopia with a lot of these futurist ideas as well. So it'll be interesting. I, I look forward to seeing it. I'm, right. glad, I'm glad to hear that so many people think it's great. All too often, uh, the, these these sequels just r- trade on the on how well received the first movie was, and, and throw something mediocre out there. I'm glad glad somebody brought their A game, you know. And so, well, uh, I yeah. look forward to seeing it. Yeah, I've always I've always been amazed by all the the writings of Philip K. Dick, who lived in the 1950s. And these are the ones that are all the the major sci-fi movies that we can all relate to. I mean, Blade Runner was the very first one that got made into a movie, and that was that was actually two months after he died. He didn't actually get to see his own movie, and then and then all everything from Total Recall to Minority Report, and just uh, the list goes on and on and on of all the the major blockbuster science fiction movies. He had a his hand in uh, kind of cultivating that thinking that went into it. I, I find that to be quite amazing, somebody that was that far ahead of uh, the rest of yeah. the world. Well, it seemed like most of his stories dealt with the question of what is real? What is reality? What is, what is, what is fantasy? And so, you know, with, with, with the Blade Runner idea, and that was from his short story, do androids dream of electric sheep, if I, if I recall. But if, uh, in that, it's the idea of uh, is a replicant a, a uh, sentient being? Is it is it a real per- a real person as well? 
And of course, are are your dreams reality in in Total Recall? And I think the name of that short story was originally "I Can Dream It for You Wholesale." Or I think that was the title. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I mean, just you, like I, I completely agree. His his basically off kilter way of looking at the world made for some just some excellent sci fi ideas that movie makers have been mining for decades. And so yeah. Kind of, kind of yeah. cool. I'm glad, I'm glad to get to see Blade Runner on the uh, screen again, and uh, and hopefully a great movie. A, a lot of people compared the original Blade Runner to Metropolis. That's what it was. Uh, the the old silent film. Yeah. And that you know it, it just you know the idea. Uh, it's amazing in the 1920s, Fritz Lang had you know was showing many of the ideas to the to the best best he could the the technology he had available. He was trying to show something similar to what Ridley Scott was able to do in the 80s. And, right, uh, right, and there's, there's so many scenes that we're seeing today in cities that seem like they're straight out of the original Blade Runner. So that was an interesting forecasting tool, if you will, kind of <laughs> a dystopian in some ways, and I don't know, just giant advertising screens on the side of the buildings and that sort of thing, flying drones. Yeah, I mean, they're right on the edge of all of that. Absolutely. Some of this stuff, the dystopian parts, we, we hope that it does the service of, you know, warning us of, about pathways that maybe we shouldn't walk down, right? And uh, the, yeah. we, we, don't, <laughs> we, we, don't have, we don't have to live in, in, in uh, realities as, as quite, quite as bad as these. Why don't, why don't we try something different? <laughs> That's been, always been one of my uh, things I've hated about science fiction is that they, they always make technology the bad guy, and it's always... I've not seen any science fiction world that I'd want to actually live in. There very, very few of them. And so the world is not going to be that grim in the future. And I don't think it's going to be a utopia either. It'll be somewhere in the middle. But I think we're doing a disservice by painting these, these totally dark visions of what the future is going to look like. I mean, too many, too many young people growing up. I mean, when I was a kid growing up, you know, I looked at the covers of Popular Science magazine and see stuff coming out of Bell Labs, and I couldn't wait for the future to get here. And right. nowadays, I mean, if you ask a lot of young kids what they think about the future, well, it's going to be, oh, the environment's going to hell. I mean, we're global warming. We're going to get into wars and, you know, pandemics and all kinds of things are going to go wrong. And they, they just just hate thinking about the future because of all the bad things that can happen. Right. I think the future, we need to create more positive visions of the future. I think we need to make the future fun again. I, that's, that's the way I woke up in the middle of the night just dreaming, waiting for the flying cars, waiting for the jet packs, the, uh, the invisibility cloaks. I mean, just all of these things that I'm still waiting on a lot of them, but... Um, <laughs> Well, but we're closer, though, aren't we? Yeah, uh, we're much closer. (laughs) That's great. I'm completely with you on that. I think that's far too much pessimism. It's good to be aware of bad possibilities and to avoid them. And so things don't ever have to be quite as bad as we imagine in Terminator or whatever dystopian films you want to mention. But instead, we we have a brighter future ahead. I'm with you. I look forward to seeing more and more of it. Well, Thomas, this yeah. has been fantastic. I, I've uh, really enjoyed this week, and uh, having, having you on has, has been a whole lot of fun. I hope that, hope that you'll uh, be up for visiting with us again real soon. 
Yeah, I hope Phil gets better. And, and I, I, I really, I just have a great time every time I get to be on your show here. So uh, let's do it again. Absolutely. Well, we want to thank our audience for uh, being with us this week. And we will return uh, next week. And until next time, live to see you.